Software Engineering Radio episode 69, SOA part 5 with Nico Yusutis. Welcome listeners to another episode of SE Radio, this time an interview with Nico Yusutis on uh, SOA. Um, but before we actually get into the meat of the topic, I really have to come back to the listener survey. Currently we have about 10% of the downloads in survey participation. So 90% of the people who download this podcast don't fill in the survey. Now why is that? To be honest, I'm a little bit frustrated here. I mean, um, you know, um, it's not too much to expect that as a kind of thank you to the podcast you just go and and fill in the listener survey so um i don't know maybe people don't don't actually listen they just download and don't hear me ask them to to please fill in the podcast or maybe they just don't care so um well um well it, it doesn't help to motivate to do this thing so please consider to go back to our website, click on the survey link and actually give us some feedback about what you think about the podcast, about what you want to hear and help us tailor the um, podcast better and, and, and also get an understanding of who our audience are, what the structure of the audience is. Well, let's go back to the actual topic today. This one will be a little bit a different uh, episode because we are not going to look at technical aspects of SOA, but rather on some uh, you know, how, how SOA um, influences processes, the culture in, in, in big enterprises and stuff. And in order to do this, we have a guest, um, uh, Nikolai Yusutis. Uh, some of you might know him from his uh, C++ days. And if he, you know, maybe we're going to talk about C++, uh, C++ but um, his new topic is um, SOA. Um, so, Nico, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Um, yes. Hello, everybody. Um Introducing, well, I come from a technical perspective of software development and my major focus has been for years now large systems. So I got involved, uh, for example, in one big project at a mobile phone company, an international mobile phone company, working for the CRM department, that is customer relation stuff. And the company decided to uh, work with uh, SOA. In fact, to yeah, in, in, introduce SOA in their company. And well, we complained so much about what was already there that I got the job to be a team lead for the real realization of SOA in that company. So, I, so what is I, the real realization? Well, it's, it's different from theory and it's different from <laughs> ivory towers. So... You say there is some some enterprise strategy which doesn't really work, and you were in charge of doing the pragmatics, or or no, no, it's it's well, yes and no. Um, one problem was that the main focus was on technical details, mm -hmm. and uh, SOA is not a technical issue. It is it has some technical aspects, but um, SOA is a business strategy for major companies and um, you have to deal with processes, you have to deal with architecture, you have to deal with uh, organizations and org charts. Okay, so you're saying all this discussion about 
uh, interaction styles, orchestration, loosely coupling stuff, messaging, EAI, web services. It's it's not really the point. This might be interesting at some at some stage, but the more important aspect is 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 changing the culture of the organization or the the way it works organizationally. It doesn't work usually without changing the organization mm -hmm. or having an appropriate organization, which might already be there. And um, But of course, to discuss this with your CEOs and uh, CTOs, you um, talk about, for example, loose coupling. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, loose coupling explains why you, why you say... Um, I need um, load balancing, fail, failover mechanisms, etc. And uh, but this leads, as a consequence, to having not a common business object model, and and this has some impacts for organizations because suddenly um, different teams have to map data, yeah. and and this influences resources. This influences the way you develop software. So mm -hmm. and this is this is still an pretty technical aspect for example a very important aspect is that the whole idea of SOA is distributed computing with different ownership so, and the important aspect of the different ownership. different ownership that's that's what qualifies SOA as an appropriate solution so different If ownership of, of data or services or of um, Yeah, you can say of data, of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So whether you have different um, departments, whether you have different companies involved, doesn't matter. The important point is that you, from an organizational point of view, have no control about everything. So you have mm -hmm. to collaborate from the beginning. And there are different budgets, there are different schedules, um, involved, so you this has a high influence on processes. Okay, so so let's look at at some of these topics specifically. So one thing I heard you talk about earlier um, is the idea of um, not having this this centralized large business object model. So maybe let uh, you should briefly explain what this is and, and why it doesn't work in SOA um, mm -hmm. environment. One thing you learn with real large systems is you can't use bottlenecks. Yeah. And that is, um, you have to decouple things in a way that you can implement one aspect of the system without influencing other aspects of the system. Decoupling or loser coupling is, mm -hmm. is, is a general concept behind that. Um, there have been a lot of um, trials to, to solve your, your business in a way that you say, let's harmonize things. Mm. Let's get a common understanding of what an address is, what a customer is, what the contract is, etc. And it turns out that just from an organizational point of view, you can't harmonize the concept of a customer. There are too many different views. Mm. If you try that, either you never succeed or you succeed in a way that it doesn't fit for all backends. Mm. If theoretically in large systems you even don't have that problem, then the final problem arrives. That is, if one system changes the shared idea of what is a customer, 
And the other systems use this concept, technically use it as in the same way, then the other systems have to make the corresponding changes. Mm. And that that's not possible in large uh, organizations. If one organizational like department decides to change something that would require that the other adapt their stuff basically at the same time. Yes. And and that you say that's not realistic. Yes. Well you might you might have some some migration strategy, but it's it's still too expensive that to say um, all people have to react on all business aspects of a customer in mm. the whole enterprise. Mm. And therefore, deal with the fact that you have different views of customers in your enterprise, in your project. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the interesting thing or example I have is the most... Uh, my major customer is a, is a mobile phone company um, as part of a general... Um, telephone company, international telephone company. And the most complicated data type we share in this SOA <laughs> infrastructure among all the systems is the data type of a phone number <laughs> containing um, a country code, area code, and then local number. Um, trying, for example, to harmonize an address type was not possible simply mm. they, they couldn't come to a common conclusion this does not mean that we don't have a general common idea of what an address is we, have, we have general services to change an address but mm -hmm. they map to different address data in different backends mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so so the solution is then um having letting every organizational unit every service have its own data structure and, and only the client has to know this and and if the client uses several of these services with different data structures the client program has to somehow translate yeah except that things are heterogeneous that means you have different data different platforms different mm -hmm. middleware and deal with what comes from this point mm -hmm. um Often people ask me, oh, is, is SOA something new, something revolutionary? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, um, for me, this is some kind of revolutionary aspect of SOA. That uh, is uh, like, like an agility where, where we change everything by accepting that requirements change. Mm -hmm. In SOA, we accept that we don't have homogeneous Systems. But isn't that somehow um, the opposite of what's maybe commonly thought? Because um, as you said before, SOA is often introduced into an organization in order to harmonize this and that uh, services. They should be reusable, ideally. You want to harmonize the middleware. So, and, and you're saying that's all basically not going to work for the reasons we just discussed. So you'll have different middlewares, you have different notions or definitions of what a customer or telephone number is. So, I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying. I think I probably agree, but, but it's, isn't that a little bit different to common belief? For, from, from my perspective, um, the, the main reason to introduce SOA is um, getting flexible based on the fact that you have distributed business processes and responsibilities. And that might help to get better reusability. But reusability should not be your major business case for SOA because it takes a long time that it happens. Mm -hmm. Which, however, 
sometimes you sell it that way because yeah. it, it seems the tricky thing with large systems is that you if you argue, argument with logic that works for small system that's that's works when you have control about everything then people assume that this is intuitive they say yes it's that way and it sounds so familiar mm -hmm. so just saying let's introduce a customer service <laughs> and then the, a service that returns the data of a customer and then saying and you can reuse this service in in any application then it's this sounds very reasonable uh, in fact in practice we have about 20 different services that return customer data part of this the, the, the reasons for differences is that different data is used and that performance is an issue yeah, we, we talked about that in, in this uh, in one of the previous episodes of, of, of the SOA discussion in, in SE radio but but go on I just wanted to connect okay yeah and um, what I learned in the past is that if you introduce SOA in, in really a large Enterprise, not just a prototype with 10 services or so. Yeah. If, if you really have something like 30 systems combined with uh, different middleware and hundreds of services, which I see very, very, very rarely in practice, really in production mode, yeah. then a usage factor of one is a proof for good work. That means What do you mean if by an, usage factor? Yeah, that, oh, yeah. that means okay. that an, if an average every service is used by one consumer, then you have done a good work. But the, if you, if the average is one that you can't ever have set more than one more than one consumer because you can't have half a consumer using it, right? Oh yes, you have. We oh. have. We have. It's um, of course if you design large distributed processes you d design things yet that turn out to be different and in practice it means there are services deployed that are not in use okay so, so in practice you have yeah. yes so in practice you have when you have hundreds of services and you have a usage factor of one mm -hmm. you have made a good job mm -hmm. and experiences show that that in companies that run SOA for three or four years you come to a usage factor of three or four with a, which is usually a sign of an excellent job mm -hmm. and so so don't don't make your expectations too high on, mm. on this business case mm. this is part of the reason but this is not your primary winning strategy here i'd like to look at or um, add a little like historic view um, you've been doing large systems for a while and I know that we've been on a common project a while ago um, in Hanover, and and that was also a large banking system. It was not SOA because the term wasn't invented yet. So um, <clears throat> I would like to hear what what you think compared to what you did back then, and it's probably probably was called a component based architecture, I guess. Um, how is what you start what you do at this telecom thing? How is it different? I mean, is it the same thing? So what are the real differences between four years ago, component-based development and 2006 or 2007 SOA. Is it, is it the same thing or what has changed actually? Well, well, are the challenges, the real challenges, mm. are, are they the same? Technically, it is pretty similar. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, 
when I when I uh, had to draw slides about the general architecture of the SOA system now in the mobile phone company, I could reuse slides from that project, yes. from that banking project, yeah. because we had back we had different backends, we had we had some middleware, we had to wrap backends in a way said that we abstract business tasks and we have some front end. So the, the only difference was that, that I had to replace um, solid lines by pipes because a pipe is a symbol for the enterprise service bus. And, and it looked that way that due to the pipe concept, every service or every system component could talk with any other system component. So immediately we, we, we got the question of security. Yeah. So if you have your basic services that change the address of a specific backend, mm. um, of course you don't want that, that, that the front ends call these services directly because then, then each front end has to call and make sure that, that all these services are called. So you introduce some composed services that change the yeah. address and yeah, you want to make sure that, that front ends use that service and not the bang and services. Yeah. So um, uh, you, you mentioned enterprise service bus. Uh, what's that? I mean, do you have something like that at this telecom company? Well, enterprise service bus is, is a concept. It's not a tool. Uh, right, you can have a, an enterprise service bus without having any specific process or hardware running. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just, I, th I think it's a, it's another word for the infrastructure of SOA. Right. So and it's more or less a messaging system. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, services are messages you send around. So so yeah, yeah. part of it is, is is some messaging system, but but that can be a lot more tasks. Um, for example, intelligent routing of messages yeah. is usually a task. Monitoring yeah. um, is a task. And maybe managing um, business activity monitoring. This is learn how your services flow at runtime through your system and then make uh, business decisions based on this monitoring. Mm. Um, this concept is a, is a concept I have not seen in, in reality yet, but But this is part of the idea, we usually is, which is usually uh, sold to the managers. Okay. Another thing that I think is quite interesting is this versioning aspect. I mean, if if you have one service changing its data structure and the other client or whatever using it, and and you don't want to impose that the client changes as you change the service definition, how do you do this? I mean, you have to be able to be tolerant to changes, version stuff. Yeah. Any ideas there? The interesting thing with 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 a major concept of SOA, uh, namely loose coupling, is that you have to decide your amount of loose coupling. Mm -hmm. Because loose coupling has some uh, benefits, introduce some benefits, but usually loose coupling leads to drawbacks. Um, for example, if you um, use asynchronous uh, messaging, if you don't get the answer immediately, Your, uh, the systems you um, exchange messages with uh, has not to be online, but you get your answer later and have to deal with that. Yeah. So coming back to your question, um, the question is, um, are we loose coupled in a way that automatically clients use the latest available version of some service a provider provides? Mm -hmm which is often told in theory that this is a good idea. 
Um, our experience is that in practice, this is a pretty bad idea if you want to have very stable systems running. And, and key in our mobile phone company is that the services run. When, when it, whenever a, a, a customer calls in to get some support, they run services that send customer data to the, to the call center uh, agent. Yeah. Um, so this service must run. When we introduce some updates, for example, we, we, we have a new attribute customers have. Yeah. And we say, okay, this is a new, uh, this is a new attribute. Even it might be backward compatible, or at least from, from non-functional aspects, backward compatible. Then uh, we introduce the danger that we make mistakes. And that so we that it isn't, in fact, compatible, but you just think it is. Or that, that we just, uh, well, introduce a new bug. New yeah, version, okay, yeah, new bug. Right, yeah, okay. Okay, so, <laughs> so and uh, this happens in practice, of course. And so, so as a general rule, we say whenever a service is in production mode, it is fixed. Mm. So references to it are fixed and don't automatically switch to newer versions. Right. You have to switch explicitly to a newer version of this service. Mm. Which, of course, implies that we have a lot of versions of services. Yeah, and you get never get rid of the old crap. We get. We, we, we get, but this is uh, something you have to deal with from a, uh, from a service life cycle. And as always in, in large companies, uh, withdrawing existing code without getting some functional benefit for your business is an investment in... Uh, that's hard to hard to realize because well you pay money for maintainability yeah. and usually your short earnings are more important. Yeah, it's it's a it's the it's a garbage collection problem, right? You have to find out that actually nobody is using it anymore in order to be able to re no, withdraw it. That's that's not the problem because in in almost every uh, real running SOA, you know who is calling the service. So it's not like you have these services which are provided by somebody and which are like publicly available in some kind of repository and then there is somebody using it. You do know your clients. Yeah, I, I, I don't think anything works without that idea, with that, without that concept. So do you have... Maybe, maybe there might be a public marketplace where this was, but in an enterprise, you have to know your dependencies because you have to know who, who has to get informed when you change something, when you... Uh, w when there are problems, etc. So, 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 do you have some kind of registry then that is used at runtime to discover stuff? Well, it's it's part of the enterprise service bus monitoring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course, you need the data, but yeah. uh, how you realize that in practice depends. You might have a registry. You might, well, each provider might write a log file with with uh, seeing who is calling. So. Yeah. Uh, that that's enough. That's enough to to get an understanding to know I can withdraw the service or I have to write some consumers a message. Well, or couldn't you please switch to the new version? I mean, it, in the end, I think it depends on whether the amount of services you have is still 
small enough to be managed manually. I I suspect, I mean, I haven't seen that either, but if, if the number of servers really gets big, it's probably not as easy anymore, you know, people manually looking through the log files or something. So you need infrastructure that, that manages the service lifecycle and then automatically deploys and undeploys and withdraws things maybe. I'm not saying this is something you should do in the beginning or that's even something ever, anybody ever did, but it might be. No, I, I don't think you're, you're right. Okay. The, the concept of SOA is decentralism. That means um, you, you have somebody responsible for some functionality mm -hmm. and that, let's say, department or yeah. backend provides some services. Mm -hmm. And from their point of view, they are pretty small. They can manage that. You, you don't mm. need central mm. control over that okay. because somebody is responsible for this service and mm -hmm. they should usually not have a size that, that, yeah. that they are not, uh, well, that, that they can't manage their, their responsibilities and their interfaces anymore. So you, you don't need a view of all services to, do, to deal with service life cycles. Mm -hmm. You only need this this general view of all services if you um, either have the idea of th that it works plug and play <laughs> yeah. um, w which doesn't work in practice really and, and the other idea but which, which is usually the, the place if you don't have clear responsibilities or functionality in your uh, enterprise mm. and you need some customer data um, it helps to see well here are some services and this service looks like it is what I need but this is only to find the right person to talk to. So that's an organizational problem, and then you, yeah. Yes, I, I don't, I don't think. Well, there, from a technical point, you might need um, for loose coupling uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. registries. But yeah, from fine. an yeah. from an uh, organization point of view, the idea of SOA is introducing decentralism, and that does not necessarily mean that you introduce centralized repositories. I, yeah. I think you should be very careful with that. Okay. So before we take a look at business processes in that context, um, let's have a brief look at, at your experience with the current technology. And, and we're recording this, by the way, in the beginning of 2007. Who knows when it's going to be broadcasted? And we're uh, just to, to continue that, uh, we'd really like to thank uh, the six Datacom people too, uh, because they gave us this room at the OOP conference so where we can record the the podcast um, so we should add this thank you note here so what kind of uh, technologies do you use specifically which parts of the WS something web service stack are you using none you I don't mean, use XML well, well WS you said not XML okay oh, so you, okay so okay maybe <laughs> okay that's that so, so what do you use in this in this um, what I don't only I, I don't only have one customer and um, okay so but, in this but, big customer here yeah, oh that that big customer that's interesting they started with uh, Tipco Rendezvous yeah which um, is a basically a messaging middleware that's yes. fifty five years yes. old um, well <laughs> that times uh, the the project wasn't named an SOA project it was an enterprise integration project <laughs> and. Um, it turned out later on that we could use the, the infrastructure aspects of enterprise integration for SOA yeah, infrastructure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so, so we stayed with that technology. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, as, as I said, we have uh, different countries involved in that company. And um, when we try to connect two 
countries, both using typical rendezvous, it turned out that they couldn't talk to each other. So this is not no guarantee. Yeah. So so even if you decide on your protocol, on your um, infrastructure protocol, whether it's web service or something else, this that's not enough to uh, to be sure that you are interoperable. And and those who know the web service. Uh, standardization disaster, let's say it that way, <laughs> is um, know that. That's, that was I the mean, point I wanted to get. I see. I see. I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well, we have we have about, I think. Well, these days we have about between sixty and eighty different web service standards. And and what we use in in the meantime we use web services, but it's only part of our middleware. We have mappings between. Um, but, web services and other technologies. The data structures are defined as an XML schema globally, and then you transport them using a TIPCO and web services. Is that what I? Yeah, understand? our our rep repositories, our our language that describes um, the semantic and the uh, signature and the interfaces are not pro proprietary for a specific infrastructure yeah. uh, protocol. Um, well, yes, and uh, well, okay. Let, let let me first uh, finish the other sentence. <laughs> uh, that is, um, it's really interesting to see that we have uh, something like sixty between sixty and eighty standards, and that you have additional standards that provide interoperability of these standards. Uh, like the VSI Basic Profile, which VSI is an organization founded only to gain interoperability uh, using the web service standards. I mean, that says something. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in, in practice, they they they. Well, I think they made something like like 120 requirements, um, additional requirements or constraints, and and 24, I think, extensions to web to the five basic web service standards, five of 60 or 70, and now they say you are interoperable, which does not mean that you are really interoperable. You still have to decide some things when you realize your SOA, mm -hmm. but, but it works better. You, you can connect your BizTalk or Microsoft BizTalk web service with an, I don't know, uh, access, open source, generated Java adapter. So, so, so what would it be? It would be schema <coughs> for data description, and then basically WSDL 1.1 to describe services, if you have services, if you have web services. And, and what else is there in this WSI interoperability thing? Well, in the, in the, it's called the, the WSI Basic Profile 1.1, which is the right. current one. And they standardize, um, well, the low-level technology with or, or, or protocols, which is XML and uh, um, HTTP, so yeah. some certain things. Beside that, they standardize the interface language, which is, which is Whistle or yeah. WSDL. Yeah. And which uh, standardize the protocol on top of HTTP, which is SOAP. So, mm. And uh, beside that, they they standardize the, the UDDI, the broker or the naming service of web service. But yeah. this doesn't doesn't play such an important role 
in, in basic web services communication. Business process integration is this uh, uh, from your point of view? Is this uh, are you doing like orchestration and, 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 and process modeling at your? Uh, I always make must make sure I don't mention the name of the company since everybody kind of knows what that company is. But so do do you use this? Everybody stuff? knows. Yeah, it. you know I know okay. it. Okay. <laughs> so we here everybody know it. You know it. I know it. But so do you use uh, uh, business process modeling and 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 the stuff or are you just doing the service layer? Well, of course we do. We, we, we have business process modeling. Uh, otherwise, we can't come from, from new functionality to running IT software. The question is whether we use the specific, appropriate, technology-supported way maybe web services think should be used to realize business process modeling. For example, using Beeple as a standard. You, you, you do this or you don't do this? We do a little bit of that. Okay. I mean, yeah, we uh, we currently um, try to use people in as an orchestration engine. Mm -hmm. Well, for that we had to use beta software of some vendors. Um, I would say um, it's 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 a pretty good concept for common business processes. But tooling is, well, let's say in the, in the second generation, which is, uh, which is I learned it from uh, uh, Gregor Hoppe that, that it is uh, the hockey stick function. <laughs> so the hockey stick function generation of tooling is um, up to a certain degree of complexity, it, it's pretty flat. Mm -hmm. And then there comes where the stick gets <laughs> up to the hand. Yeah, yeah. So if you raise a certain level, then a complexity um, or, or the effort for a tool uh, yeah, is, is, uh, raises more than the complexity you have. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think we are in that state. And uh, you need that state to get good tools, but um, you need some time to, to deal with this, these things. Okay, um, although we wanted to talk about non-technical aspects, somehow we still talked about technical stuff. It's probably my, yeah. my questions here. Um, so let's look at more organizational issues. What do you need to change in an organization in order to make it SOA compatible? How do, you, how do organizations change to be able to adopt an SOA successfully? Okay, I, the, the, the most important point for, of SOA is distributed computing. Yeah, we have that. And distributed business processing. And distributed business processing doesn't start with implementation. It mm. starts with, yeah, well, design. Uh, it starts with high-level design. Um, guess, for example, you, you are a company and you need some additional functionality or you need some new... Um, new business model and you yeah. want to realize this in your systems. Then you have to break down this functionality uh, which is part of your business process modeling process mm. and um, to some extent you say well this, this should be IT supported and uh, so you, you break down things. However you have your running systems you have your existing backends that play a role mm. and these, I, I, let me say backends are involved in mm -hmm. this new functionality. Yep. Now, in the past, we had these monolithic um, fiefdoms 
that that could uh, you you could give them the task into introduce this new functionality realize it in your IT system yeah. this doesn't work any longer they you have different departments different providing different services because they are responsible for different things mm -hmm. um, you have billing you have uh, customer relations you have fulfillment and these are really different big backends SAP systems. Um, host J2EE server farms whatsoever and now you want to introduce a new functionality that means every backend has to do something mm. and it only makes sense together distributed business process so you start with an with an uh, high level design um, or what is usually these days called a solution design um up above the different departments you have, the different departments you have in your company. So like a bit like CRC cards that you would like to associate responsibilities and collaborations with departments? That might be one technique. Yeah, um, yeah of course, I think, just to connect. Yeah, but, but the most important point is there is something above the different departments and I think uh, you, you're, you need a project culture. You're okay. getting from a like department a cross, cross culture cutting. to a cross-cutting yeah. project culture. You also need the department culture. These are the backends. Yeah. Yeah. But you need a project culture, and, and it's in the hands of the project cultures to drive the whole thing. Mm. To get the job try, done. Try to do say. that with, with old existing departments mm. that usually well, decide everything on a new solution. So th this is the hard part. And, and it, it also it contradicts to some extent to what you said before because you said each department or provider or backend should be responsible for its own services. And so that's the one aspect or the one viewpoint. And now you said there is another viewpoint which is more like cross-cutting or orthogonal which looks at introducing a new piece of functionality into all these systems so that altogether it makes sense. Yes. And, 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 and for example, in the mobile phone company, they... They invented new org charts for that. Mm -hmm. They said, we have the departments, but we also have the solution management mm -hmm. departments, mm -hmm. which were somehow high level above everything. Yep. And, and they are project departments. So, yep. <laughs> I mean, they, they get the task. Here's a new functionality we want to have. Make a high level design. Go to the different departments. Asked for their effort to realize this, yeah. and then we see the business case. Mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. we know or we have an idea what brings us the new uh, business functionality, and then we know the price for yeah. realizing yeah. it, and then we decide. And this is interesting in the mobile phone company. Uh, every three months we have a meeting where we decide on a new release um, what we realize, and and there all these solutions come together, yeah. and we know. The benefit we know the the different uh, efforts the different department has, and now we have to pl have to find an ideal solution to get the best benefit for the company as a mm -hmm. whole. Mm -hmm. All departments should have tasks for about a hundred percent of their real effective yeah. time. Yeah, and then you follow that in, in realization, and the solution manager sees well because in practice, of course, things change and yeah. and you find bugs. So. And, and it's very important that with this business model, you collaborate because 
um, if, 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 if there's, for example, one department is a profit center and says, okay, I have... Um, I can give you this service here. We have a service that, that does it for you, but it's slightly different. And that causes several, uh, many costs for the other departments. Yeah. Then it's bad design. Yeah. And um, you pay for that in, in the long term. So you say the typical cost center designs where you have these islands in your companies who each make sure that they make profit as much as possible, that doesn't work if you want to introduce cross-cutting distributed processes. Because then the people will say, I don't care what the others do. I, I do it so that I maximize my own profit. Or you have a profit model in your organization that deals with these facts. Right. So that you can that you can pay. <laughs> but, but, but then, well, I mean, that means you have to break down your new functionality, not only uh, technically and from a business point of view, also from a from a pricing point of view yep. and I, I don't think that works so yeah. so we have we have the, the good fact that that our IT departments have a have a flat budget mm -hmm. so though so they they don't they are not profit centers mm -hmm. and and we say well with this flat budget we want to we want to get the best the most functionality the most functionality we have um, to 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 get the best in the business mm -hmm. and yeah I, I mean and that but it changes a lot and if you yeah. don't have support from from CEOs for this kind of different thinking in companies mm -hmm. then you will fail I, I've seen that and uh, it's interesting you can say SOA is some kind of problem detector if if the <laughs> if a company is really able to collaborate yeah and if not they might blame SOA for it. They say before we introduced SOA, everything worked fine. I mean, mm. it didn't work fine. They, mm. they, you have that in reality. Uh, you have distributed processes without introducing SOA yeah, in your large companies, explicit. but it's not explicit. Yeah. 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 Now, assume your current job is finished with your um, mobile phone company. You take off two months and rebreathe and then you go to your next customer and your job is to introduce an SOA there. Um, how do you do this? How do you start? What are the steps? Well, first of all, make sure that management is behind you. That there is the understanding that SOA is a company or business strategy. Mm -hmm. and, and technology is only a part of it. Yep. And um, I talked already about the the problems of business process management, but there are many other processes you have to introduce in your company uh, for service life cycles, for solution management, and also, for example, more technically for uh, model-driven development because you, you, you generate a lot of code for interoperability yeah. and and. and 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 so so you need processes in practice that work for that. Yeah. And uh, well, f first of all, I don't see no other change but introducing SOA in a way that it, it evolves in a company. So start small. Start small, but think big. Mm. But uh, well, think big and think small. Start small, think big, and think think small. Um, um, I, I mean it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, start small is clear. To evolve, it, it uh, iterate to get yeah. to get the best and yeah. to understand how 
business aspects, process aspects, architectural aspect influence each other. Yeah. Um, think big because all, you have large systems yeah. and you, for example, must not introduce bottlenecks, yeah. but also think small in a way Or that think simple maybe think simple yeah maybe that's better uh, in a way that you avoid the the yakni principle yeah. so you ain't gonna need it yeah. principle yeah. which means um you you think you need some kind of flexi flexibility that that does not yeah occur. that's actually a tendency i've also seen that that people think they have to care for all kinds of possibilities and then they build this huge complex system with all kinds of dynamic runtime facilities and you'll never need it Yeah, I, I give you a simple example. Uh, we have in, in, in our systems, we have uh, started with the idea that it is easy that a service can move from, from one back end to another. Mm -hmm. And of course, this to, to realize that, you need some kind of in, indirection. Yeah. It turned out that in practice this never happened, but it turned also out that this caused, caused a lot of problems in our code generation processes, etc. So, yeah, so we yeah. have difficulties to, for example, to debug services because suddenly you have, due to the indirection, you have a name change, you have a symbolic name, and th this is mapped to a real yeah, physical yeah, name. Yeah. Just in, in, in JNDI lookups and local, yeah. Mm -hmm. For example, yeah. yeah. So yeah, this is a typical example where I learned, yeah, don't start with these things or, mm. or don't start with, with the repositories. First things first. Yeah. So, uh, but even, but uh, don't, yeah. Forget that the result is a large system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's isn't that typical that in order to build large systems and to build scalable systems, you should keep the. Um, the, the individual building, the individual building blocks, and the rules that govern the architecture as simple as possible. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, a I mean, general principle. simplicity is a principle. Yeah, but How often do you see that in practice? No, I mean, I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, of course, it's it's good to keep things simple, but I'm saying that especially if you try to build big systems or general yeah. things, yeah. even more, you, that that is a force to drive things even yeah. simpler. Look at HTTP. Simplicity is a key, si right? Yeah. And it's even more key the bigger you get. Yes, yeah. yes. And um, for several reasons. Um, one reason is, uh, well, only simplicity scales. Mm -hmm. both from f Even from the understanding of the people. I mean, yeah. you have hundreds <laughs> point. of programmers involved. And they have to understand their role, what they do, their constraints. And they won't understand it if you have complicated architecture yep. pictures. Yeah. So that's Although, part of large systems. Yeah, I mean, I think there is, but there is different viewpoints. I mean, an architecture can be complex and and sophisticated internally if you have a well-defined, what I'd like to call programming model, a well-defined view of the architecture that developers see. Well, um, <laughs> I mean, now now I come back to web services. There, yeah. there, there's something there, there are more than only the, the standardization problem wrong with web services yeah we know I mean I know <laughs> I mean another big problem is that web service is a protocol um, standard not an API standard yeah which uh, leads to the fact that the responsibility often for from from enterprise integration teams or SOA competence center ends at a whistle file yeah and Each team uses 
their own code generator. So so how to well so 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 they make it they they make it very different which is definitely not simple especially as they will deal with all with the same problems and deal with them in, in different ways yep. so uh, what you say is yeah our task is to write to provide a very simple way for the di for the business teams to work exactly usually leads to the task of providing them an API. Yes, so or tooling. In or tooling sense. that generates an API. Yes. And uh, for example, we, we, we change infrastructure in that mobile phone company right now and uh, we can keep the API. We, we switch yeah. from TIPCO yeah. to web services yeah. and we keep the API. And, and that is for, for the business people, nothing changed. Yeah. 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 And this is, this is key. And, and I see too much people only f are focusing on web services. And yeah, 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 of yeah. course, a web service, the, even if it's a standard, in 10 years, there will be a yes. different standard. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and be very careful to to that you that you use web services only if you if you are sure now we come to the infrastructure aspects of our yeah. problem don't expose all that stuff to application code to, yeah. to, to business logic or whatever you call and it and not to design etc so for example if people have this strange idea of uh, specifying services using whistle this is something <laughs> very strange Why? because i mean I, i have talked about that before but i just like to hear this from you for some reason Whistle is incomplete. Ah. They they don't deal with non-functional attributes, mm -hmm. and Whistle is too broad. So um, usually you have to constrain things you are, that are allowed there. That's also true for XML schema, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's part of it. Yeah, so, yeah right. So but, but Whistle and, and XML schema. Right. Yes. So so you, for example, think very carefully with enumerations. Yeah. Think carefully with choices. Inheritance. Uh, inheritance. Etc. Et because. Uh, Sorry to say that. I know a lot of Java guys are here, but Java is not the only programming language. <laughs> <laughs> and if you build large systems and you integrate legacy, which is large systems are legacy, period, then you um, you, you deal with programming languages that, that have a problem with uh, inheritance. Yeah. And uh, you, you, can, you can deal with that, but... So, 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 so that's always something I say. Design your data structures, for example, with simple UML diagrams. You only have attributes, objects. You maybe distinguish between, uh, uh, you know, composition relationship and non-composition. You maybe distinguish between entities and value types. And then you have cardinalities on the references, and that's about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And then oh, in other ways, structural data types. Yeah. Uh, that is record structs and arrays yeah, or lists. Some kind of these things. And based on some and forget basic all types, the rest of schema that the most solid and way to be sure that your investments yeah. r work for the next yeah. uh, years yeah, yeah, yeah. so as we slowly but certainly uh, wrap up this session i guess um, another term i've been hearing quite often in the terms of um, in context of soa is, is what people call governance um, sounds a bit very much business to me so can you explain what what governance stands for what is that what role does it play well uh, well governance first of all stands for itself i mean governance what? is the governance of of that making sure that things turn out to be right so um ah. soa governance which is usually part of it governance in your company uh, has the idea of making uh, ensuring 
that SOA works, uh, is, is performed right. And as you have learned now in the meantime, this includes not only infrastructure, it includes um, architectural aspects and processes. Mm. And it, it all comes together. So, so when you introduce some team that establish or adopts an SOA in your company, then, yeah, you, these teams should be able to govern the whole topic in, in a useful way that all comes together and works together. And It's um, like a steering committee? Well, well, steering are usually... It's usually the name for for the people, yeah, steering f over the governance team. That is, I, I think, governance is is more often called an integration competence center, mm -hmm. so that you say there is some team responsible that all makes sense together. You can also say that it's a system architect of um, SOA, but as I said, it's system architect not only for technical aspects. Mm -hmm. System, uh, the system means the enterprise. Yeah, not the technically. Yeah. yeah, and uh, one of the major reasons SOA fails in practice is a, is a lack of governance, mm. which is always combined with a lack of understanding what SOA is about. Because otherwise, they, they would know that that you need some kind of governance. Governance, but I've also very often seen that. Um, Well, very often sounds like I've seen hundreds of SOA projects. That's that's not the case right now. But <laughs> anyway, um, I, I've seen I've seen several times that uh, one problem of of the teams responsible for establishing SOA in a company um, don't fulfill two very important requirements. This team should have requirement number one you have to establish decentralization mm. to the extreme that means make sure that you are not involved any longer <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. establish as a central team decentralized processes mm -hmm. and it's difficult for some people to mm. work on a task that so that they give up responsibility and mm. control mm -hmm. And the other thing um, is you want to establish service orientation. Service has to do with service. Mm. And service, this is a team that is a service team for the business teams in the company. So you say the business people rule and not the IT people. Right. Mm. They asked for the, they defined the requirements. They asked for problems and i i've seen a lot of problems because uh, the central teams were some kind of ivory towers yeah. and not having time and not enough resources is also management yeah. issue yeah, 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 to yeah. to go to the business teams and to work to work with them explaining the idea the concept developing the first ad adaption adapters and then learning what went wrong see seeing how the process lacks in practice and then making making some changes so homework homework is so important for successful homework so, yeah that, that, that the homework is done that all you might might have all the concepts all the tools and so you mean not not just talk about it but actually really do things yeah that the, these the central teams have to be part of using 
process of the processes and, and, and they, not be they the invent. ivory tower team yes yeah. and um, yeah let's say uh, well understand yourself as a service provider <laughs> for your company yeah. or companies okay anything else you want to say before we wrap this up sure I mean I have no idea when this uh, talk will be published but um, there is some advertisement <laughs> there is a book coming out I'm currently writing one uh, so when is it going to be published the book Roughly, uh, the idea is mid of um, 2007. Well, we can make so sure that, that the podcast will be at uh, mid 2007. Sure, that's that would be great. Yeah. So okay. so SOA in practice by O'Reilly, and this will contain hopefully a lot of useful things I have talked about here and, and, and a bit a little bit more. Okay, cool. So thank you very much for being on the show, and um, thank you, Marcus. Thanks for listening to Software Engineering Radio. If you want to get more information about Software Engineering Radio or if you want to give us feedback, please go to our website at se-radio.net. You can also contact the team at team at se-radio.net, although we prefer entries in our comments system on the website so other people can see what you think. Software Engineering Radio wants to thank Henning Pauli for the intro and outro music as well as Lipson for providing the bandwidth. This episode of SE Radio, as well as all other episodes, is licensed under Creative Commons license. See the Software Engineering Radio website for details.